0: And welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my always great co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, how's everything going today?
1: Man, everything's going great. Uh, we got another week of college football in the books. And now we're on the championship week, man. Dude, I- I'm feeling good. You got some, got some great matchups coming up.
0: And this is always one of my favorite weeks of the year just because there's so many implications. We saw it last, last year with the SEC Championship game, and there's going to be a lot of implications with this this year's SEC Championship game as well. But that's something that we'll get into in the second segment of today's show. But just to give you guys a quick rundown of what we will be discussing today, of course, it is our favorite part of the week. And that is Pride Sticker Monday, where we hand out basically our MVP For the week and we go through three guys each. Sometimes we always or sometimes I should say we do have the same players and then sometimes we'll have three different answers as well. So with that being said, and then in the second segment, we will recap some of the games from the week just to give you guys a quick synopsis of the games that we will recap Auburn and Alabama, of course, in the Iron Bowl, Ohio State and Michigan. And then we will end discussing Wisconsin and Minnesota. A real, real good weekend slate of games. I was really interested to see exactly how a lot of these games unfolded. And I think they did live up to the hype, especially the Iron Bowl. Uh, but that is what we will get into in the second half of today's show. But, of course, it is Pride Sticker Monday. And, of course, I want to let you go first. So, with that being said, who are you handing out your first prize Sticker to?
1: Man, and th- this one to me is somewhat – you know, it, it, this Pride Sticker – goes a long way for this guy because he was criticized early on the year for his lack of production, but it's going to go to Iowa defensive end, A.J. Epineza. I mean, in this game, you know, he had 14 tackles, five tackles for a loss, and two sacks. I mean, in the last three games, Epineza has racked up five sacks and two forced fumbles. It seems like forever ago when those that that criticism was coming down on him for lack of early season production, because he's really racking it up in recent weeks. I mean, his length and his power are really his calling cards as a pass rusher. And I think he's really cemented himself in that top 20 conversation next April.
0: Oh, without question. And he's a guy that's a lot of people don't really understand. And when I tweeted this out during the game is that this is his first year being a full time starter just because he was behind Anthony Nelson last year. And I believe he only played in 40 percent. Of the team's total snaps. So that just gives you a quick snapshot of exactly how he was used last year. He was predominantly used on passing down situations and third and long situations. But this year, he's had to learn how to be a total defensive end, playing on first, second, and third down. And that's something that he did struggle with. But his pressure numbers have always been high. And that's something that I think gets a bit misconstrued and confused with his stock. It, it, it It's not the fact that he's been completely quiet this year up until the last three or four games or so. It's just that he hasn't been able to finish plays with sacks or tackles for loss. They've just been strictly pressure numbers. So he's had a really good year, but now he's getting those stats and he's filling up the stat book for the most part. But Vanessa, where are you at with him as far as the draft process? Would you be comfortable with taking him, let's say, in the top 12 or something like that?
1: I think it depends on the scheme fit. I think, that goes, I think that's pretty much the case for all these defensive ends. I mean, you got to see you know, who fits where. So I think you got, there's a ton of different archetypes in this class. I mean, if you're running a true 3 4, then I think you're looking at a guy like Caleb Von Chase on or you know, a Yator Gross Matos or one of these you know, leaner, kind of more explosive, bendy pass rushers more so than a guy like Epineza. But if you're a true 4 3, you know, you know, even front team looking for a strong set defensive end, Epineza's right up your alley, man. This guy really does everything you would want with his length and his power, his ability to win at the point of attack in numerous ways. What I love about his game is that I think he's more technically sound than he's given a lot of credit for. I think he's really ready for NFL stats, more so than a lot of these defensive end prospects coming out in this 2020 NFL draft class. So, to me, it's going to come down to scheme fit. But, man, Epineza, I'd definitely be, you know, comfortable taking him in that top 12-15 range if I was running a 4-3 defense. 110%
0: 110% agree with what you said, and DeForest Buckner has been one common comparison that I have thrown out about him, but one of my Twitter followers threw out a really good comparison that I actually like better than the Buckner comp, and that's Cameron Jordan, and I think he compares very favorably to him. I think he's a little bit bigger than what Cam Jordan was coming out, but as far as being able to play along the interior and also out on the edge, I think they had a bunch of similar traits, and I think Epinesa isn't as quite as twitchy as Cam Jordan coming off of the edge, But as far as what they provide as pass rushers and also run defenders, I think they are very similar. So I really like the Cam Jordan comp.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because Cam Jordan wins in a lot of the same ways. I'm not sure if he's as long as Epineza is, but I think they win in similar ways, you know, coming out of college. So I really do like that comp as well because Jordan has a kind of versatility, you know, where he can, you know, he can two gap and early work and then he can be a true defensive end pass rusher. On you know, on passing down. So I think Epinesa is kind of same, similar kind of archetype of a pastor So I like the comp as well.
0: Absolutely. Epinesa definitely will be one guy that we will be discussing a lot leading up to the pre draft process. And he is an underclassman. So, and there are some rumors already swirling that he, along with Tristan Wirfs, may actually go back to school. So that definitely will be something to track over the next few months. But Moving on to my first prize sticker, and we both are just infatuated with this guy, and we were really surprised that he went back for his senior year just because he probably would have been the first-round selection if he did come out last year, and that's Derrick Brown. What he did against Alabama was just phenomenal, and you rarely see defensive tackles just completely be able to take over games, but that's exactly what he did in this game. He ended up with seven tackles and and three-and-a-half tackles for loss, and there were some times where Mac Jones really did get the ball off where he was – Where where he really was making those tackles, but he was able to get throws off and get some completions as a result. But he the way he was able to impact this game was just phenomenal. And I compared it to even though it was a different stage, the way he impacted this game, it was similar to Indomitian Sioux against Texas and also Marcel Darius in the national championship in 2010 against Texas as well. Those probably were two of the best defensive tackle performances that I have ever seen from a prospect. And I think Derek Brown's performance was very on par to both of those, both of those circumstances.
1: He's, a, he's an elite prospect, man. He, he just is. And, you know, when my big board update comes out, he's going to be in my top five. There are not five better players in this 2020 NFL draft class better than Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown. There's just not. And, you know, I tweeted it out right after the game. If the Heisman Trophy is about the best player in college football, Derrick Brown deserves to be in New York for that ceremony. The, that, that, that's how dominant he's been. You talk about Indominus and Sue. I haven't seen defensive tackle dominate college football like this since Sue come out of Nebraska. Uh, this guy has a complete skill set. He may not have the flashy explosiveness and bend like an Aaron Donald, or something like that. But this guy is just, you just know he's gonna be a productive pro. And someone asked me the question: if you could pick. Like you know, like one slam dunk Hall of Famer from this draft class, I think I picked Derek Brown, man. I just don't see how this guy fails at the next level, and I see him having a huge upside as well, like like all pro kind of player. So I, mm. I just don't see how this guy really misses. You you pick
0: him over Chase Young?
1: I, I I wouldn't do that. I, I I think just the value of the edge rusher position yeah. kind of takes over at that point. But at the same time, man, I really think Derek Brown's gonna be an All-Pro. I mean, this guy just does everything you want at the position, whether it is you know the two gap as a run defender, or just get up you know a one gap and go pass rusher. I'm all about Derek Brown, man. You know, it, even though the Chase Young still, with him being a, you know on the edge, that being a more valuable position, Derek Brown still to me a top five guy. I, I just can't find five better players in this draft class better than him.
0: Everything about his game is so mature from his personality. And I was just watching this, his post-game interview and just how calm he was. And there was just like a million students surrounding him chanting his name, but he just remained calm And everything that he was doing. in the game, he actually remained calm as well. And the way he's able to galvanize that defense and just the way everybody just follows his lead, him and Marlon Davidson are very, very – very, very close in that defense. Uh, Marlon and a very talented defensive lineman for Auburn as well. Number three, he made a lot of impactful plays in the Iron Bowl as well. But Derrick Brown, just the way he was able to take over this game, and I would be shocked if he's not a top-10 selection. I think he's going to put up some freaky numbers at the combine as well. And I'm really hoping he does participate in the Senior Bowl. I'm really looking forward to talking to him down there and just seeing him practice just because – I think he's one player like similar to what we saw from Montez Sweat last year that is just going to stamp his status as a first-round over or first round selection, I should say. Uh, just guys like that, you expect them to look different in an event like that just because that's the type of demeanor that they're bringing to the table. They already have that label coming into the week of practices, and I think Derrick Brown is going to dominate the week in Mobile.
1: And speaking of senior bowl guys who are going to dominate, I'm going to go to my next pride sticker, and that's Texas senior wide receiver Devin DuVernay. And we haven't talked about him a lot in this podcast, so I'm interested to get your thoughts on him. But this guy, you know, has been consistent throughout the year. You know, he's a transfer from Baylor. This guy is a true speed dude. Reminds me a lot of Nicole Hardman coming out of Georgia, who's you now having a productive rookie year for the Kansas City Chiefs in the second-round pick. And what he did to Texas Tech, he eviscerated them all the game long. Six catches, 199 yards, and a touchdown. This guy, like I said, is a speed demon out of the slide. He can test you vertically, but he's also a very underrated route runner. I think he's more developed in that stage of the game, more so than McCall Harden was coming out of Georgia. And I think he's going to eviscerate cornerbacks at the Senior Bowl. Considering a lot of the cornerbacks of the Senior Bowl come kind of these bigger, taller guys, and that kind of matches up with the bigger, taller receivers like Brian Edwards, Colin Johnson, Antonio Gandy-Golden, those guys that Jim Nagy has brought together. But Devin Duvernay is kind of like one of the exceptions of the wide receiver class there. I think he's going to expose a lot of these corners with a lack of speed and hip fluidity. So expect Duvernay to have a huge opportunity to rise at the Senior Bowl.
0: I'm with you. I think he's going to burn the turf up down there. And what I mean by that is he is going to light guys up just because – a lot of people, or cornerbacks, I should say, they haven't seen the speed that he brings to the table. And a lot of other guys, they're more of your big body, go up and get it type of receivers. But he's the one guy that is different along with Denzel Mims. Those guys are just going to be moving at a different pace than what we see from some of the other guys in this wide receiver group. But I'm a big fan of DuVernay. I actually wrote down thick Brandon Cooks. That was my comparison for him. just That's because- a very good one because he he's a lot of people don't realize I believe he's around 210 pounds and Brandon yep. Cooks is only around 185 pounds so he weighs much more than what Cooks brings to the table but they move in a lot of similar ways as far as their route running and the way they win as well at the catch point so Brandon Cooks was my comparison for him even though he is a much much thicker option as far as a body stature wise but I think they win in a lot of similar ways as far as the route running department.
1: Yeah, and I think another one, like if you're talking about the, you know, the thicker you know, slot receivers who have that quickness to them, that quick twitch, think like Golden Tate, right? You know, when was on the Lions, where he's just, you know, a guy who can stretch the field vertically, but also the safety blanket over the middle. And that's kind of what Duvernay had to prove this year at Texas, was can he be that consistent, you know, reliable player over the middle, a safety blanket for Sam Ellinger? And he has been. And, you know, Texas, ha- Texas hasn't had quite the year they expected. But at the same time, DuVernay has, I think, exceeded all expectations. I think he's really risen to the day two conversation.
0: Without question. And all year we heard about Colin Johnson, and there's no knock against him, but Devin DuVernay definitely has been Texas's best receiver by far this year. And I think he's probably going to be the first one drafted of that group uh, once we get closer to April as well. But I'm going to go ahead and get into my second prize sticker of the night. And we were talking about this guy prior to recording the podcast, and that's J.K. Dobbins, the running back from Ohio State. Against Michigan, he had 211 rushing yards and four touchdowns, and he was the one player on Ohio State's offense that stood out to me the most, even though I thought Justin Fields played really well in this game in spurts, but J.K. Dobbins, I just think he outshined everybody in this game. His stock just continues to rise, and he actually is in my top 40 of my latest big board. And like I said, we were talking about him very for, for a very long time prior to the recording of this podcast. And we both agreed that he might be the second running back selected in this draft class. And of course there's a long way to go until April, but Dobbins has showed a lot than what some of these other backs have shown in this class. You talk about, a a guy that compares very similarly to Ray Rice. That has been a comparison that we have both used and thrown out there a lot just because of his contact balance, the way he is able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles and also on the perimeter as well. But the most important factor with Dobbins to me is just his vision. And it really shined in this game just because I kind of compare it to going into an elevator. And that might be kind of a weird comparison, but – he's able to find, if that first door closes on the elevator, he's able to find that second door by being patient and making those skip jumps or those hop steps to the next door when that first door does close. And he is very patient with his approach, and that's one of the things that sticks out to me the most about Dobbins.
1: No running back prospect in college football has helped their draft stock more this year than Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins. Without question. He is running with so much better control and patience out of the backfield. It's night and day from 2018 to 2019. And it's really played a huge part in him, I think, having his resurrection year as a prospect. His consistency as a pass catcher and pass protector on third downs has also just greatly improved. I think it's really helped his consistency and overall game. And that's why you're seeing him a lot more in the fourth quarter when Ohio State needs to rely on him and on all downs in all situations. Um, and, you know, I don't know if he'll be the top running back drafted, but as we talked about before the podcast – I think he's firmly in that top tier of running backs now with the ETNs, the Swifts, the Taylors. It just going to depend on which team. is a running back more than any other position. It's all about flavor. And Every team has a different kind of preference of the position, and I think his skill set draws many parallels, as you talked about, to Ray Rice with how he's so you know, built low to the ground, has that natural leverage and balance and quickness, um, good in all three downs, can protect, catch the ball in the backfield, really patient with how he runs. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. I I think he's going to be a productive player at the next level for any team that drafts.
0: Without question, I think he's going to be a slam dunk day two prospect. And whoever does get him, I think they're going to get an instant impact type of contributor with him just because of what he brings to the table. And the biggest thing, like you said, is just his contact balance, his vision, and what he brings to the table in all three downs, and I think that's the biggest thing for running backs these days. Just because it's not just a two-down league anymore, you have to be able to be a third-down, a three-down threat, I should say, especially as a blocker. And that's exactly what Dobbins does bring to, bring to the table. But before we move on to our last prize sticker, I want to remind our listeners about Audible. Mm-hmm. Audible has the world's largest selection of audio books and audio entertainment. <laughs> You can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash lockedonNFL. Listening on the go. If you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So I want to go ahead and get into our last prize sticker of the night. And I'm going to let you start this off. So who is your last prize sticker going to?
1: Jordan, I have checked the archives of the Locked On College Football podcast, and I have discovered that we have not mentioned this guy's name at all in this podcast, and that is an honest crime. Bryce Perkins, the quarterback for Virginia, and I know that a lot of people don't think he's the real (laughs) deal as a prospect because he's more like a dual threat guy, right? But Absolutely. I, think, yeah. I, I truly think the NFL is more open to this trend of mobile quarterbacks. You look at the top MVP candidates, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, all guys who – you know, even Josh Allen, guys who utilize their legs, you know, for success. And I think the NFL is more open to that. I think that's going to be – you know, I think a lot of these mobile quarterbacks in this draft class especially are going to be able to capitalize on that more so this year than any other year we've seen because of that you know, newfound success in the NFL with this with these mobile quarterbacks, and Bryce Perkins could be one of the Could be one of the prime benefactors of this. You know, it, it won't be on the top 100 picks, but you know, look on day three. This is a guy that I think some team will take a flyer on. Um, and, you know, and the reason why he gets my pride sticker for this week, Jordan. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Virginia's on their way to the ACC championship because Bryce Perkins was responsible for about 97% of the offense's total yards. set. Wow. 97%. So basically, every the entire offense was Bryce Perkins. I mean, this guy had 311 yards and a touchdown passing the ball, and he had 19 carries for 164 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, goodness gracious. Wow. I, this guy deserves a spot in the senior bowl. And, I, you know, I, and there's, there going to be a lot of quarterbacks there that, you know, that people are arguing about whatnot. But I think Bryce Perkins offers a skill set that we aren't going to see in this draft. And I, I just want to see that at the senior ball. I want to see how he you know, goes up with NFL coaching. And so I want teams to work with him because I really do believe he deserves a shot at the NFL. And this game against Virginia Tech only showed why.
0: I'm with you. And I was pleasantly surprised with him when I watched him during the summer. Now, he has a bit of a funky release. It's a little bit longer than what you would primarily want. But I really like what he brings to the table as far as a dual threat type of guy. And you're exactly right. That's exactly the kind of the wave that the NFL is going to right now. And the trendy, trendy thing really is to get these dual threat guys in the door and really to coach them up, really scheme around their skill set. we have seen we're seeing it with Lamar Jackson and we've seen it plenty of times in years past with other quarterbacks as well. But. team like the Baltimore Ravens if they're looking for another developmental guy behind Lamar Jackson let's say they want that young backup behind him and like we saw them take a Trace McSorley last year I think Bryce Perkins definitely would be an upgrade in that area just because I think he's a much better passer and he has much more upside than what McSorley does bring to the table if they're looking for that third guy behind RG3 if he's not in their long-term plans as a backup so uh, with Bryce Perkins, I think the Ravens definitely could be an option for him. And there's some other teams around the league that he does fit, but they are going to have to cater to his skill set if they're going to go all in on him. And there's no team that's going to go all in on him as a starter, but just as a developmental option, I think some team could definitely take a chance on him, definitely on day three, like you mentioned. But I'm really hoping that he does end up coming to the senior bowl or some of these other uh, bowl game postseason all-star games as well just because i want to get a really good look at him just because i think he can be a developmental option so let's say like the fifth or sixth round are you comfortable taking him in that area
1: yeah i think it just depends like i said on the personnel but i, I would absolutely i mean if, if you're looking for you know those day three quarterbacks that's a lottery ticket man I, i'm of the mindset that you draft a quarterback every year and gardner Minshew is a perfect you know, example of that you draft him in the sixth seventh round and all of a sudden, you've got a guy that you can potentially build around. You know, one of the things, these are lottery ticket picks. And if I'm taking a quarterback on day three, I'm going for upside. And I'm banking on Bryce Perkins' dual threat, you know, value as a guy that I think can, you know, when you, look, when you look at the trend of today's league with the mobile quarterbacks, I think Bryce Perkins fits right there. I think you can build an offense around him. Obviously, I don't think you want to spend high capital on that. So I think you know, there's a lot of risk with Bryce Perkins. I think as a passer, he's not as polished as we've seen. There's other mobile quarterbacks I'm kind of compare them to. But at the same time, I think if you're going for main upside in a lottery ticket, Bryce Perkins is that guy, man. I, I, I think I would rather take him over the guys like Steven Montez, KJ Costellos. Those guys are, those guys are kind of like you know, they're, your back quarterbacks at best. Bryce Perkins can develop into a starter. It just depends on you know, how you cater his skill set to your offense. So I'm going in on Bryce Perkins on day 3 If I'm the like, like front office, I'm going in on Bryce Perkins.
0: I'm with you, and it's definitely going to be interesting to see exactly where he does end up going just because I think he could be a day three guy or somebody can get a steal with him as a undrafted free agent. I think that's really the range for him. I don't see him make getting into the day two discussion just because of how much of a developmental project he is in his current state, but day three, I definitely will be comfortable We're taking him there fifth, sixth, or even seventh round. I think that's the target area for him. So we'll see what does happen with him, but keep an eye on the name Bryce Perkins. But moving on to my last prize sticker, and this guy has just been on a tear lately. So the last five games, this guy has had 35 catches for 831 yards and eight touchdowns. Last week against Texas A&M, he had seven catches for 197 yards and two touchdowns. He's already broken the school record for receiving touchdowns in a year in a a single season, I should say. And that's Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. This dude has just been unbelievable. And I'm not one that really follows the high school rankings really closely as far as who the top prospects are in the country. So I really didn't know a whole bunch about Jamar Chase coming into LSU. But just watching Joe Burrow, he has just popped off the screen and we're going to be talking about him a lot in the loaded 2021 class next year. And I think he definitely, C.D. Lamb, I think he was the the common, I should say, the overwhelming favorite for the Blitnikoff Award prior to his injury or missing the Baylor game. But Jamar Chase has definitely gained ground on him and I think probably surpassed him for that award right now just because of the tear that he is on right now. He's just been unbelievable.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think you see LSU in the top spot or LSU beat Alabama or LSU stay undefeated without Jamar Chase. I mean, Joe Burrow's been amazing. But Jamar Chase has played an excellent piece of that offense, I think more so than a lot of people realize. And there's going to be a big discussion next summer about the 2021 top receiver. And Jamar Chase deserves to be in every single conversation about that. This guy has the size. This guy has the speed, the catch point skill set. He was everything you want in a top receiver. And you, you saw him go up against, go up against Trayvon Diggs, one of, you know, who's thought to be one of the top cornerbacks in this year's draft class. And he owned him on a couple of plays. So th- this is a guy that has gone up against gr- good competition and still put up the numbers that you alluded to earlier. So th- this guy is the real deal. And I think he is going to be the bullet just because he's catching the momentum of the LSU. You know, I, I, like I said like in a, a previous podcast, this is just LSU's year, man, whether it was with Coach Orderon. Joe Burrow the number one overall pick and Central Heisman. And they got Chase. I, I, think the, I think the NCAA and the awards, it's going to be all LSU this year. I think this is just the, tie, the year of the Tigers, man. I, I think Chase is going to take that over Lamb, especially with Lamb, you know, sitting out against Baylor.
0: And definitely. And Jamar Chase is definitely a name that we'll be talking about. On this podcast, once we get to our summer previews of some prospects that we're looking forward to in the 2021 class, but before we move on and get to our game recaps of Auburn and Alabama, Ohio State and Michigan, and Wisconsin and Minnesota, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back to do our three game recaps of the week. It was a week that did live up to the hype, in my opinion, even though some of the final scores were a bit distant and what they did indicate I thought there were some really good games and I have to start out with the iron bowl between Auburn and Alabama this was a back and forth game all the way even though Tua Tagovailoa was not playing in this game obviously Mac Jones I thought filled in very admirably in his absence and he kept Alabama all the way into the game until the end even though the field goal kicker did miss at the end and special teams has really been a big wart for Alabama during Nick Saban's tenure but this game I think I thought it just lived up to the hype, even though Bo Nix didn't play great in this game. I thought Auburn's defense really did show up in key moments, even though they did give up 45 points in this game. Jalen Waddle was incredible in this game, and a lot of people didn't really know a whole bunch about him just because you hear about the other three with Ruggs, Judy, and Smith in that receiving core, and Waddle sometimes is the forgotten man just because he is the one that is not draft-eligible draft eligible this year he is in that talented 2021 class but waddle from special teams to receiving going up to get the ball and climbing up the tower to get the ball in the, in the end zone for his for his receiving touchdown was just incredible in this game we've already talked about Derek brown and marlon davidson and how they did how they did stand out in this game naji harris was another player that had a really good game as well so just what's your overall thoughts from this game
1: How crazy is it that Jalen Waddell is considered the fourth receiver on Alabama?
0: (laughs) That is unreal. And I saw your tweet about
1: Alabama has the best wide receiver core in college football history. And I really can't disagree with that. I mean, you talk about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. I think 75% of NFL teams will trade their wide receiver core right now.
0: Without question, without question.
1: So, I mean, you're t- when's the last time we've seen that? Like Miami 2000? I mean, yeah, it's been a while, I I gotta tell you, there are four first round receivers here. I, I really do believe that. I know Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs have gotten most of the attention, and deservedly so. But it's, I mean, it's about time we start talking about these other two guys, Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Waddle. Man, I know Jalen Waddle's is not draft eligible for 2021. But I think he's firmly in the top-wire conversation for that class considering his speed and catch-point skill set. But if you look at uh, Devontae Smith, this guy is just as smooth as silk, man. This guy's a route runner getting off with his release package. He's just phenomenal. I, I think you know, when you talk about Tyler Johnson, I think most of us view Tyler Johnson mostly as of the slot guy. I think Devontae Smith is kind of like the outside version of Tyler Johnson, where I think you know, he's a reliable dude at, you know, everywhere in the field. Just, you know, has that speed to burn people over the top. I I, I just love the smoothness to his game. I and mean, I think he's going to be a really productive player at the next level. Um, I, I'm not going to throw out a comp there unless I'm, you know, really confident in that. But I, I know that this guy is just going to be a productive player at the next level. And I think some teams are going to get a steal with him just because he's that third option. And I think that's going to shadow you know, how good he really is. It reminds me almost, you know, I don't, I don't want to compare him to like Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas you know, was kind of like the, the guy at Ohio State. But you know how Michael Thomas kind of fell to the second round it was kind of yeah. you know, forgotten about? That just seems to me that Devontae Smith is. We know De- Devontae Smith has put up big numbers against big competition all year long. But it seems like the focus is always on Judy and Ruggs. And even though like I had Judy and Ruggs over Smith, do not forget about Smith as a first-round talent because he's going to end up probably going on day 2 but that's a first-round wide receiver all day long, man.
0: It would not surprise me if he ends up being the best pro out of all four of these guys. Oh, and I And I say that just because his trump card, he he's really not a master of anything, but his game is so well-rounded that it translates so well just because he's such a good route runner. He's fantastic off the line of scrimmage as far as releases. He's strong at the catch point. Now, he's not great after the catch, but he has enough speed in order to survive as far as creating after the catch. So he has a game that really translates well to the NFL, and I don't think he's ever going to be a wide receiver one, but as far as a high-end wide receiver two, that can be a great complementary option to a dominant guy. I think he definitely can be that. So if I was a team, I would be fully comfortable with taking him within the top 40 picks without question, especially early in the second round. Like if I'm a team with multiple first-round picks, uh, like Miami or somebody like that, if I'm trying to trade back and maybe get another extra second round pick, I think Devontae Smith definitely would be an option for me within those top 40 picks. So uh, just, just where would you be comfortable with taking him? I would, I wanted to ask you that.
1: Oh, I'd be comfortable taking him in the first round. And, and, oh, and, you wow. know, I, and here's the thing with Devontae Smith, man. I, I think there's a point to where we got to stop underrating this guy because he just consistently puts out good tape over and over again. I think it's just, a lot of people don't think he can be a first rounder just because they have the thought that he's behind Judy and Ruggs. Right. But if if you want the truth, if you want the you know the truth, Devontae Smith has been the best Alabama wide receiver this year. Yeah. I mean, he really has. I mean, if Judy has had uh, some issues at the catch point. I mean Ruggs, you know, this guy's getting separation, but he's not always getting the opportunities. So you can kind of make a case there. But Devontae Smith has been the complete package for them, production-wise and tape-wise. So the route runner and a finisher at the catch point. This guy's the best ball tracker of any receiver in college football. And this guy just has a knack for just finding it and attacking it in the air and a sense of body control. The only player who's really had that kind of sense of body control I've seen out of college was A.J. Green coming out of Georgia. I mean, this is a guy that I really do believe has an NFL starter skill set, and I'd be very much comfortable taking him as, as my first-round pick if he, because I think he can play the X or the Z, and I think he can play it in slot. This is his route running and release package. I'm a big fan of him, and when my next big board comes out in two weeks, I'm going to have my top four wide receivers are going to be the three Alabama guys and C.E. Lamb. It's going to be that simple. <laughs> and it's, that, it's really that simple. I'd be comfortable taking him in the top 30, no question.
0: I'm with you, and I'm a big fan of Devontae Smith, and I think he's going to be a very high-end wide receiver, too, at the next level just because I think he has some limitations that really keeps him from being a top option. I would like to see him gain, gain a little bit more weight just just so he can sustain. He does struggle uh, when, when some guys get a bit handsy with him and run him to the sideline from time to time. But that's really being picky about his game. But I'm a huge fan of him, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he is selected uh, once we get closer to April on draft day. But just getting into our next game, that is Ohio State in Michigan. Ohio State has won eight straight games. Nothing has really changed in this game. I thought they completely dominated from start to finish, even though Ohio State was down some players in this game. Sean Wade was one notable guy that did not play in this game. We both know how big of a fan I am of him, but the, the Buckeyes still managed to win this game, 56-27. to 27. Uh, We talked about J.K. Dobbins already and how fantastic he was in this game. Uh, Chase Young was relatively quiet in this game, even though he did have some almost sacks and they got a lot of pressure on Shea Patterson towards the end when they did have to throw the ball, and they were a lot of they were in a lot of passing down situations. But uh, Michigan had some players that played well in this game. I thought their receiving core played well for the most part. Nico Collins was one guy that did stand out. Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, stood out from time to time, but he did struggle once again with some drops, which has been the biggest thing that has hampered his draft stock for the most part, but the athleticism and the traits are there, and he's one guy I have talked about a lot. They could end up being a first-round selection just because of simply the traits, and NFL teams do love former five-star players just because they feel like they can unlock that previous potential that they did show uh, coming out of high school and then some of the traits that they did show uh, when he was at Michigan as well. So I'm interested to see where People Jones does go in this draft class, but also we talked about um, Chase Young and also J.K. Dobbins, but we both have already gushed over Jeffrey Akuda and how well he played early on in this game. And I was really surprised to see how Michigan was testing him early on. And a lot of people on Twitter were kind of being ticky tacky with some of the clips that people were posting of him saying that it was pass interference and. Yes, he did arrive early on some throws, but it, it was really bang-bang to me. But the biggest thing that matters to me is just how well he showed in his technique and his patience in really making plays on the ball. And we both know that ball production was one of the bigger uh, issues brought about with him just because he hadn't recorded an interception coming into this year, but he has already recorded uh, three this season. So I want to get your thoughts on Akuda first just because I know you are a huge cornerback guy. And we've touched briefly on him during our time together in this podcast. So, what's your thought? Well, let me get the game thoughts first, and then we'll talk about Akuda.
1: Yeah, and you know, and uh, Kuda, you know, whenever you slow down these plays with instant replay and these clips, if you slow it down to an extent, every play is pass interference. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, I, I get people are ticky tacky with a lot of and People have their opinions and stuff, but you have to understand that football is a bang bang sport, man. And there's always going to be contact on both sides. So let's not be super critical of that. I think you know, there's a time and place for you know, blatant pass interference and blatant holding. But none of that was visible on Akuda's plays. I mean, come on. Akuda did a great job pinching the sideline on one of those plays. And did a great job breaking on the ball on in an inside slant. This is a guy that I think is the top cornerback in the 2020 NFL draft. The undisputed top cornerback in the draft. I think it's Jeffrey Akuda, and then there's a tier below. That's how good I think he is. I, I said this before I think he's a mix of Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward, Ohio State's last two first-round corners. And I think when you look at those two guys, how how they win, Marshawn Lattimore a little bigger, Denzel Ward a little more quicker. So I, I think this is a, I think when you blend those things together with his speed, his ball skills, man, I think you're gonna have a Pro Bowl corner in your hands. And I think he's a top six, seven player in this draft.
0: I'm a big fan of Akuda, and we've talked about him pretty much very lengthy portions in this podcast and we both love him we're huge fans of him and of all the cornerbacks that have came out of ohio state the past few years i think he could be the best of the bunch that's how highly i think of him and we both know that you think very highly of him as well and you know your cornerback play so uh, really agreeing on a prospect of the stature makes me feel good as well, just because you have a great eye for cornerbacks and you have a well-respected mind for those guys as well. So Akuda definitely is a name to keep an eye on, but there were some other players uh, in this oh, yeah. game that, that I want to <laughs> talk about as well, and I want to get your thoughts on as well. So who were some other players that stood out in this game to you?
1: <laughs> you and, you know, I'm going to shift gears here. And the player that stood out for the worst reasons
0: Uh, Mr. Metellus
1: Michigan safety Josh (laughs) Metellus and this is a guy who got a senior bowl invite about last month and I was thinking to myself okay this guy is more I see this guy more as a box guy a guy who I don't really want thinking as much as I want him in the back end I want him coming downhill as opposed to playing backwards I think when he plays backwards he gets in a lot of trouble you saw that against Ohio State the, every, uh, I saw this in a Slack chat, in our TDN chat, that every big play Ohio State had or every touchdown Ohio State had that wasn't involved J.K. Dobbins <laughs> was, had Josh Metellus' fingerprints <laughs> all over. Without him. question. I mean, it's it like every touchdown, every play that went in the end zone for Ohio State, it was because of a blown assignment Metellus had. And I, th- there's nothing worse you can have as a safety prospect or the safety in general than a slow mental trigger because you're the last line of defense. And if you can't react quick enough to get to your landmark as a safety with your range, then that it, you're a complete liability to the defense. And, you know, I'm sad to say it, but that, that's exactly what mid was. He was an absolute liability for Michigan on Saturday. And, you know, like I alluded to earlier, I want him playing where he thinks as little as possible. I want him just being a run-and-chase guy you know, seek and destroy. I don't want him to read, react, key, diagnose. And when you can't do that, you're very limited. And I think, that, you know, I think he can be a good special teams player because of his physicality, I think, his ability to kind of run and tackle and whatnot. But I think, you know, if you're looking at him as a safety prospect, it's late day three, man. This guy just doesn't have the skill set to be a deep player in the back end. And this guy needs to play in the box to have success. And even then, his man coverage ability is very limited just because he's so stiff in his hips. I I just don't see a way where he sees NFL snaps anytime soon unless he's on special teams.
0: Yeah, and this was one of the worst games that I've ever seen from a safety. And you can tell that he was just completely mentally checked out at the end of the game. If you go back and watch jk dobbins last touchdown he wanted no parts of stopping him in the end zone and he completely backpedaled backwards and then when he had to turn and run he just did not trigger towards jk dobbins at all it just was really disappointing to see especially from a guy that has already received a senior bowl invitation and i think he's only going to continue to struggle in that department as well as we you know get to those practices in january as well so Mattelis, we'll see if he does, if he's able to improve his just because that was one of the worst games that I've seen uh, from a safety prospect. So he has a bit of a, gr- a bit of some ground to make up as far as for him to enter that day two discussion. But I think he definitely is headed towards day three. Uh, like you said, probably sixth or seventh round. I think that's a fair range. For him to be drafted in. and he's going to have to carve out a niche on special teams in order to receive some playing time on the defensive side, just because he's has so many limitations as far as in his hips and then the slow trigger, like you said, but did you have anything else to add to this game?
1: Oh man. Um, not really. I mean, uh, it's just one more thing. on am going man. It's just, you know, and, and I know a lot of people are going to say that, you know, they, they don't, I, we're not bashing these players. And a lot of this more so is, setting the reality for things, right? I mean, what, we, we don't want to, you know, give players expectations that they can be a top 100 guy. I, I just don't think Metellus, unless he, his tape has just been horrendous this year, to, to be frank. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't, you know, played well in the back end. And he's really just been a complete liability for them in coverage all year. So unless he gets on special teams and really earns his way onto a roster, on a, you know on an active roster and be active on game days, I just don't see how he's going to be you know, a productive player at the next level. I'm just not a fan, but I, I don't want to give you – I know he's got the senior bowl invite, and a lot of players. You know, A lot of people watch the highlights and whatnot and set unrealistic expectations for him. I'm just telling you, man, unless he you know, just somehow revamps his ability to read and react in the back end, which is not anything easy to teach, may I add, I just don't see how he's going to see NFL snaps on Sundays.
0: Definitely. I'm right there with you as far as his status and then how he has to earn some type of playing time uh, on the next level. Just special teams is probably going to be his calling card for the most part in order to earn those reps. But before we move on to our final recap of Wisconsin and Minnesota, here is a word from our sponsors. All right. and We are back with our final recap. The matchup that was billed as one of the biggest games of the week, college game day was in Minnesota for this matchup between Wisconsin and Minnesota. And the score was a bit indicative of what exactly happened in this game, even though it started out very close in the beginning, the Gophers took, or they jumped out to a seven nothing lead after a long touchdown to Rashad Bateman, another strong candidate in this 2021 wide receiver class that we will get into during our summer sessions on this podcast. But Just keeping it on brand with some of the prospects that did play well in this game as far as for the 2020 draft. I thought Kamal Martin, even though he did get hurt a bit early on, he did shine at points in this game. Also, Antoine Winfield Jr., I thought he played well in this game. Jonathan Taylor was his usual self in this game, even though he did have some minimal gains early on. He started to get those chunk plays later on as they started to wear down the Gophers defense. And I thought the Badgers really did impose their will after they went up, I believe it was 17 to 7 in this game and just completely changed after that point. And they just imposed their will on the gophers and they just had nothing to answer. Just just the, the tone that the badgers did bring to this game. And even though it was snowing, they really just I thought they stomped them in the second half and they just completely stuck the life out of them in the second half as well. So kudos to Wisconsin for just really dominating this game in the second half. But Jonathan Taylor, I thought he was the star of this game for the most part. Just what is your overall thoughts in this game? and Were some players that stood out to
1: you? Yeah, I want to highlight two Wisconsin Badgers here that had a great performance in this game and were the two key cogs of this victory. Um, the first guy is wide receiver Quintez Cephas. This guy, I think, was you know suspended early on. Um, some you know I, I don't know what uh, some off-field issues. But, man, this guy, he's been on the field. He impresses each time I watch him. And he's not really the fastest guy, not really, you know, he doesn't really have this one trait that you see him really master uh, that really sticks out. But his game just impresses you each time you watch him with his smoothness. His physicality, number one, whether it's after the catch or at the catch point, no one on the Gophers can really stop that in this game. And I think he had a huge game. I'm not sure if he's going to declares. I think he's a true junior. But this is a guy that I think when we talk about later on, this guy will be kind of a sleeper receiver to keep an eye on because of his physicality, his ability to kind of, I think, play the X or the Z. So it'll be really interesting to follow him going forward. But the other guy I want to mention is um, edge defender Zach Bond. Yes. Is, is he looked
0: really good in this
1: game. Yes. And this is a guy that, you know, I've been touting all year as a guy, hey, we got to start talking about him more. Because we've seen Wisconsin have a lot of these, you know, hybrid edge defenders in the years past, notably T.J. Watt. Guys who kind of you know you know on the gray area between linebacker defensive end, where do you play? him? do you play him off ball? Do you play him as a true you know hand in the dirt kind of guy? And you know Zach Bond, the senior bowls, can get a real opportunity to play both. Kind of you know you know where he you know plays a little bit off ball, a little bit in coverage, and, and, and as a pass rusher, and showing more versatility is only going to help him in Mobile, kind of like a Son Rex did at Temple when he came out of Temple. So I, I think I think Zach Bond's a real. Threat to be a riser in this pre-draft cycle because I think he's gonna test a lot better than people think, and his tape is really, really good. And I, I think this is a guy that I think will end up being in a top 50, 60. And you, you're gonna start, you're gonna see a lot of comparisons with him and Josh Uche because they're kind of that hybrid, you know, defensive end linebacker kind of guy. But Bond, I, I can see the NFL valuing Bond a little higher just because of what he's done this year on tape, and I think his overall physical profile maybe a little more appealing than an undersized guy like Josh Uche.
0: And he's just really, really active. And that's something that you want to see, especially from linebackers. And they really experiment with him as far as being in that wheel linebacker role and also rushing off the edge as well. I think that's the primary role that they have used him in so far this year. But I think he could transition to that wheel linebacker role, and I think he could be just fine in that spot as well. So I'm really intrigued by him. I still want to do some more work. On him I've got about three games on him so far, but he really has popped and watching some other guys on that defense as well. So Zach Bond definitely is one guy that I have written down in my notes to get a little bit more work on just because I am very intrigued by him and he definitely could enter the day two discussions with some of the production and the traits that he has shown so far this year. Did you have anything else to add on Bond or this game?
1: Yeah, and and, you know, there's always that one guy who comes out of nowhere and we see him just he was, was like a son, Reddick, you, you know, yep. a couple years ago coming out of Temple, viewed mostly as a kind of top 100 kind of player, then rose all the way up to the you know, consensus top 20 pick in mock drafts. So that, I, I could really see Zach, but I'm not sure if Zach Bond will rise that high, but I could see him rising to like top 40, top 50, even. This guy's tape is phenomenal, Jordan. This guy is putting numbers, you know, as both an off ball defender. You know, in coverage, guy, you know, reading and reacting, but also the pass rusher, man. And it, it you know, you know, I love Jannard Avery coming out of Memphis a couple of years ago. And this is a guy that, you know, is almost like a longer, faster version of that. And I, a longer, more explosive version of that, who I think is, I incline more to see him more than pass rusher. than Avery, I thought Avery more as an off ball guy, but I think Bond really gives you a complete, versatile package. And, you know, Wisconsin had the pass, the guys like TJ Watt, guys who, kind of been on that fine line of linebacker and edge rusher. And I think Bond is that next guy in the Wisconsin lineage and those kind of players.
0: And that's the beauty of the draft process, just because there's guys who you never heard of coming to the year, and then they have these breakout seasons, and now they definitely are on your map. And that's exactly what Zach Bond has done this year. But that is our show for today. And once again, we want to thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tools. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review. We will be back tomorrow discussing plenty of other topics as well. But once again, we want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast, and we will be returning tomorrow. Thank you.